Welcome to a special Monday episode of That Jewish News Show. I'm Laura E. Adkins, the Forward's Opinion Editor. And I'm Benjamin Cohen, the Forward's News Director. Don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review That Jewish News Show wherever you're watching or listening. And we also want to give a special shout out this week to our friends on Reddit at r slash Judaism, a boisterous space for Jewish conversation, for helping spread the news about our launch. Thanks, everyone, who uh, spread the word. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be speaking very excited. I'm very excited. I think Laura is as well to be speaking with Aliza Ben Shalom. She's the host of the new Netflix series, uh, Jewish Matchmaking, which debuts this Wednesday. So she'll be joining us in just a few minutes. So stick around for that. But first, um, as ever, we just want to discuss some, some of the news of the day. And today, being May 1st, it is the first day. I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but it's the first day of Jewish American Heritage Month. Happy um, uh, Jewish American Heritage Month, Benjamin. <laughs> what, is that what you say? You say uh, Chag Sameach? I'm not... I barely knew that, that we had a month, so so this is all news to me. Yeah, uh, we did some research. The crack team at the forward did some research. Apparently, this started back in 1980. It started, though, as Jewish American Heritage Week. Ah, oh, we've expanded. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> That's good. Good for the Jews. Uh, you know, the White House put out a nice proclamation on Friday. President Biden said some nice things about the Jewish community. Uh, <clears throat> but Laura, to be honest, I'm, I'm really kind of torn about this. I mean, on the one hand, it's nice that we have our own month. You know, it's nice to be represented. You know, when the White House hosts a Christmas party, it's always nice that they also host the Hanukkah party. Uh, you know, when there's an Easter egg roll, we get a White House Passover Seder as well. These are all good things. I'm not going to yeah. downplay that. But I'm not sure I feel about having a whole month. I mean, I, yeah. you know, there's no Catholic American Heritage Month. I, I feel like in a certain sense, we're kind of like unnecessarily putting ourselves on a pedestal or putting <laughs> putting a, a target or, or on our in back. A box, right? Like a lot of my black friends, you know, come February. First of all, it's the shortest month of the year, which is right. a pretty reasonable complaint. But secondly, and we talk about this a lot in our newsroom including diverse voices and diverse stories should just be integrated into the work that we do in general. So it's also Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. What what does what does it look like to have this month and what does it mean for the rest of the year? I feel like we just had like a good lobbying effort and we got this month. Right. And right, you know, it's like you complain enough and and you you get your month and so I'm, I'm not sure it's necessarily the best look. It, it all does kind of feel very, very virtue signaling to me to have yeah. this this month. Um, and in similar news, we had a situation, a very interesting story that our colleague Jacob Kornblue has re been reporting out about um, End Jew Hatred Day, which end is Jew Hatred Day End Jew Hatred Day. It's convenient because it is April 29th. So we end Jew hatred and then we get to celebrate Jews for the month. <laughs> so it's, it's very it's very helpful book ending. But um, the city, the New York City Council following New York State last year and a bunch of other states decided to pass a resolution calling for End Jew Hatred Day last week. And on the face of it, it seems pretty straightforward. The resolution doesn't really call for anything except proclaiming this day to exist. However, two out of the 51 New York City Council members did vote against the resolution and four abstained. 
again, as I mentioned, our colleague did really good reporting on this. One councilwoman who abstained, Rita Joseph, has since apologized. You know, on the face of it, it's confusing as to why anyone would oppose this resolution. And I still don't think it was a good idea politically for people in New York City in particular to do so. But critics of the resolution, including the leftist group Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, pointed out on Twitter and elsewhere that the resolution isn't just the neutral show of support for Jewish New Yorkers that right. the resolution text itself is, but could also be used to push back against progressive criminal justice measures. And I think that this kind of seems like a stretch until you see that one of the main sponsors of the bill, Councilwoman Ina Vernikov, is a Trump-backed candidate who aligns with a lot of GO- GOP positions that feel out of touch for you know, the city that's 70% Democratic. Um, as well, the founder of the group and Jew Hatred Day, Brooke Goldstein of the Lawfare Project, is a pretty right-wing activist attorney who has publicly taken anti-Palestinian stances and appears pretty regularly on Fox News and Newsmax. So, I mean, I think it's still a question mark what is going to happen because of this resolution. It's certainly clear from the news cycle that it was it was not wise politically for people to publicly oppose it. But I'm curious, Benjamin, what you're thinking about as, as we watch this kind of weird news story unfold. It's very much like we were just talking about with Jewish American Heritage Month. I mean, it's almost like a no-win situation. It's like, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. everybody should get on board with end Jew hatred day, just like we should right. all get on board with end transphobia day or end anything that, you know, is hatred towards somebody. <laughs> right. But, you know, like you're saying, people are using it as a political cudgel. I mean, you're, it's, you have to look at who brought the motion to the floor and then it just becomes this political football that people are throwing back and forth. And so in, in my opinion, I, I don't, like you said, some of these monikers are, are pointless. Having a month, yeah. having a day. It's like every day should be end Jew hatred day. I mean, uh, and yeah. the fact that we're having a news cycle about it and our reporter is spending time reporting on it just speaks to kind of almost the the craziness of, of it all. Totally. Yeah. The eternal optimist in me wants to see, you know, it's amazing. The council almost unanimously approved this pro-Jewish resolution. But the journalist in me is, you know, looking at all these competing political agendas. And New York is certainly not known as a place with a history of of clean and polite politics. So it will be very interesting to see what happens in the weeks and months ahead with this. But yeah. Well, um, let us know your thoughts on this. Uh, If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, leave a comment. And if you're listening, uh, we've set up a new email as of this as of this morning. It's uh, that Jewish news show at forward dot com. It's that Jewish news show at forward dot com. And now it's time for today's guest. We are pleased to welcome Eliza Ben Shalom. She's a dating coach and a matchmaker who has successfully set up uh, 200 Jewish couples that have gotten married. That's 199 more than I have set up. So uh, (laughs) kudos to her. She's originally from Philadelphia and is now based in Israel. She works with singles from all over the world. And uh, apropos to today's episode, she's the star of the highly anticipated, everyone in our newsroom is talking about this. (laughs) She's the star of the highly anticipated new Netflix series, Jewish Matchmaking, which debuts this Wednesday. Uh, So Aliza, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. It's so cool to see you. We 
watching you on my television. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. It's me. <laughs> when you were growing up, was that a job? You're like, oh, doctor, lawyer, professional matchmaker. How did you end up being a matchmaker? <laughs> Who thinks of that? I had no idea what I wanted to be growing up. The only thing I knew was that I wanted to be a wife and a mother. I wanted to build a beautiful family. Those things were extremely important to me. I grew up in a happy, healthy family. And to me, that was the most important thing in the world, to have an environment that was really great to produce great humans. And I had really no career aspirations. No, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like, I don't know. I, I think, you know, you're supposed to figure that out when you go to college. And then I went to college and I was like, nope, didn't figure it out there either. <laughs> so I, I did what I wanted to do. I got married and then I was like, oh, okay. And now I have children and little people talking. And, and I was like, I, I need adult interaction. And there was an opportunity to be a matchmaker on a, a dating website. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm a connector. Your personality certainly came through for me on the show. And Benyamin and I both spent time in the Orthodox dating world, one of us more successfully than the other. As our listeners may know, it's a very specific dating system that has very specific rules and norms. And I was surprised, but it was refreshing to see an Orthodox matchmaker who also works with secular Jews. And you mentioned on the show that you yourself grew up uh, not Orthodox, but I'm curious if you could briefly share some of the things that make the Orthodox dating system different from the secular one and how you personally decided to work with all sorts of Jews of different backgrounds. So I specifically work with people from all different backgrounds because I have, I'm going to call it that I have both backgrounds. Growing up, yeah. I had more of the secular upbringing and then becoming orthodox and observant in my mid-20s. I now have that perspective as well. And I'm somebody who's a bridge between mm -hmm. both worlds. And I can take Judaism and, you know, matchmaking concepts and, and deep Torah concepts and put it in plain language so that anybody could understand it, whether it's somebody secular or somebody not even Jewish. It doesn't matter. Anybody mm -hmm. could listen to the advice that I have and walk away with what I would call golden nuggets of wisdom and do something really incredible with it. In turn, uh, hold on, wait, now you have to go back and tell me the first part of the question. I answer one and then I forget the other. Some of the, some of the differences, oh, the differences. With, within the system. Yeah. So in Orthodox matchmaking, first of all, there is a range. There's not just one way. Okay. So there could be arranged marriages. That's on one far end of the spectrum. There are matchmakers involved with the process. Uh, and to the degree that they're involved depends on how religious you are and what community you're from. And sometimes people do things like dropping the matchmaker or dropping the shadchan, which means thanks for setting us up. You know, maybe we've gone we on a few dates. Here. Yeah, <laughs> we got it from here. We'll move on. We'll just kind of do our own thing. And other people, they never drop the matchmaker because the matchmaker is also the coach, the mentor, the support system and the closer to end the, the match and either A, move on from it or B, get them under the chuppah and get them married. So I, I like the system of having a matchmaker, having a go-between to help discuss things on both sides, to help smooth things out. I expect matchmaking and I expect dating to be a really difficult process. Basically, dating is a failure every single time until you meet the one. <laughs> yeah. Every other time it's a failure. No. You all fail. I fail. You fail. We all fail. Right. You could date 100 people, 99 are wrong, and one is right. What kind right. of a track record is that? It's lousy. Mm. It's it's a really – I say it's the most difficult 
job to do because it really is two yeah. people from two worlds. And how about if we poof, make them one <laughs> oh, happily ever after? Yay. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult and having a matchmaker in between there's with look with the right matchmaker, it can be great. You know, just like with the right therapist, you can get the right support and it can help guide you on the way and smooth things out. All the bumpy, rocky parts can be smoothed over by a third party. That's that has, you know, wisdom about the process. Yeah, we see a little bit on the show, um, but one of the concepts that Orthodox Jews put into play in dating and in life is the idea of Shomer Nagia, where men and women who are not married or immediate family members don't touch. And there were a few moments in the show where you tried to introduce this concept with your more secular clients. But I'm curious how this plays out when you are working with people who don't normally keep Shomer Nagia. How do you talk about the concept with them and help them use it or encourage them or not to use it within their dating? Okay. I entice people. So I like to tell them all of the reasons that this is fabulous and you should really do it. Not just try this. It's okay. You'll see it works. No, let me tell you why. Number one, if you want clarity, this is the single best tool for clarity. I guarantee the person you're dating will not go out with you five times unless they like what's on the inside and who you really are. And I guarantee you won't have to guess if you don't touch them for five dates. And if they don't make it to five dates, guess what? They don't like you. It's not a secret. They really don't like you. And if you're going to tell me, Aliza, men, women, whomever, they're not going to hold out for that long, I'm going to tell you you're 100% wrong because your person who wants you and likes you would wait. I've had people tell me, Aliza, I would wait 10 dates. This is my person. She, he is worth it. And I'll play whatever game you want. Just please make sure there's another date. So if you want 100% clarity, that's the number one way to figure it out. The second thing is, and this is where I'm trying to be a little bit enticing and a little playful and where I understand both worlds, play my game. Try it for five dates. Do you want to know what's going to happen on date six? First of all, yay, you know that you like each other. Yay, you know that you're both in. And guess what happens to the chemistry on date six? The chemistry that's there isn't surface level chemistry. It's I know you, you know me, I like you, you like me. Wow. So if you would like to have, even if you think physical intimacy is great, which we all do, and we all should think it's great, and you would like to have better physical intimacy, I will guarantee you 100%, 100%, it will be better if you actually touch hearts before you touch hands or lips yeah. or anything. <laughs> it certainly offers clarity, I think, for, for both singles. Yeah. Yes. We're obsessed here at The Forward with you know um, Jewish pop culture. And, and you know it's like we're always excited to see a new... Uh, Netflix show about Jews. You know, it's, sometimes I wonder if like a rabbi is running Netflix. I mean, there's so many shows. There's Stissel. There's the new Rough Diamond show that just came out last yeah. week. You know, and then last year it was uh, My Unorthodox Life. And with that one in particular, people were worried like, oh, how is that going to represent the Jewish community? And I'm curious if you were at all like concerned or worried about how you would be portrayed or how the Jewish community would be portrayed. I think anybody going into this position would have an amount of concern where you don't have control over the output. So if I run my own podcast uh, and I, you know, tweak it, I know what it's going to be at the end. But if I do a show, who knows what it's going to be? 
The things that uh, made me feel comfortable to move ahead, one, I had seen Indian matchmaking and I saw the way that they represented the people, the culture, the dating. And I was like, wow, this is like Jewish dating, only it's Indian dating. This is great. And I knew that the same production company that was doing that was going to be producing this. And they specifically have like a documentary style, even though it's a reality show. So I knew that they were going for what's really behind the scenes. And I did ask my mentors and the people in my life that I value and I trust. And I said, hi, I want to light up the world. I want to change it for the good. And I kind of think that I need to take a really big risk and, and potentially (laughs) put myself in a compromised position, but for the greater good of what I believe that I could do. And I think this is the right thing. And I had been approached by a couple different production companies about shows that were starting to happen. And this one, I was most excited and most confident about that it would be something really beautiful. So there was hesitation, but for all of those reasons, I felt calm and good to move ahead with this company. It was at the same time, it was interesting I thought, okay, I, I heard about the show. I thought, okay, everyone's going to be Orthodox on this show. And then, like, I don't think the first Orthodox couple showed up until, like, the fourth episode. <laughs> so it was a little, like, I got a little whiplash. I was like, am I just watching, like, a regular dating show? Because, like, the people on the first three episodes are like, oh, I'm looking for someone who likes cats. I'm looking for someone who likes to travel. I'm looking for <laughs> someone who's tall and thin and has good eyebrows. Like, like it was, I, I don't know if that was, like, a conscious decision to kind of, like, play down the Jewishness in some of those couples. That part, I don't know, because I didn't have any control over, you know, when things laid out or happened throughout the episodes. But Mm -hmm. I I knew from the beginning that there would be, you know, orthodox or traditional observing couples as well as non-orthodox. And the whole goal and, and my personal clientele is a complete mix right? Older, younger, religious, secular, Israel, America, and around the world. I have clients in South America, South Africa, Australia, you name it, London. I've got people everywhere. So I don't know so much about, you know, the order and and the decision, but I do know that a lot of people had that same assumption, like, oh, this is an Orthodox dating show. And I was like, no, it's not. This is a Jewish dating show with some Orthodox people. And I'm observant, but we we really bridge the gap. Totally. You know, once we were introduced to the other Orthodox characters in the show, I I think a lot of people breathed a collective sigh of relief that, I mean, the Orthodox <laughs> rabbi came across as lovely and wise. The Orthodox couple on the show came across as really wonderful and I think gave a lot of insight for folks into some of the nuances within that community. However, there were moments in the show that I I certainly cringed at look, humans are fickle, humans are superficial, but there were some moments, especially early on, that I I kind of felt, you know, what does it mean for American Jews to have some of our our worst and most human impulses (laughs) advertised in such in such a big format? I mean, what what did that feel like to you? I don't know if you've watched the episodes over again, but I'm curious how you I did. I got a chance to see it. So I think in dating and in life, humans are human, right? We we have our preferences. We look for things on the inside of people, but we also look for things on the outside. We live in a swipe culture where people consistently are really focusing and looking on the outside before they ever even get a chance to take a glimpse at the inside. Mm. And I personally work in this industry day in and day out. So for me to hear what people want in a relationship, whether it's you know physical intimacy should be fiery or a certain look exactly 
exactly like this. Those things to me, and if you watch my reaction, I'm mostly not shocked, right? I'm yeah. I'm directing the conversation <laughs> right. and I'm also receiving people. And I think something that most people don't do in the world, even like in the way that you're making these comments, like, oh, oh this is coming out. No, this is what you want. Great. Okay, good. Thanks. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, good. We got all that yeah. out. What else do you want? Okay, mm -hmm. now that I heard the outside, tell me about the inside. So I really receive people and we we all have we all have what we want. And if we don't feel satisfied in getting what we're looking for, it's never going to work. So I never want to say, oh, don't talk about that. But I do want to say, let's add to the conversation. So I try to take mm -hmm. wherever anybody's holding with the information that they have and yeah. take it to the next step and take it a level deeper as well. You, you mentioned swipe culture. And, you know, when we think like when people are on the apps, they, they serve as their own matchmaker. Oh, I like this person. I don't like that person. Yes. You know? And on the show, you offer almost I almost like the exact opposite because people like, you know, someone's like, oh, I want to live in the big city and I want to live in the small town. And you set them up. And normally you wouldn't you, normal. You wouldn't think of setting those two people up or I, there's someone on the show is like, I want someone who, you know, this age and you set them up with someone who's a little older. And I think there's this whole. I don't call it like the throw, throw the spaghetti at the wall approach. And I think you mentioned, you know, it's like, let's throw everything and see what sticks. And I think you mentioned this on the show that like, unless you really hate someone, you should always go on a second date. You know what I'm saying? Because that, that's date them till you hate them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. Date them till you hate them is this concept of, first of all, I just want to clarify, never, never, never hate anybody. It's a catchphrase. Right. <laughs> it will stick in your brain. You will never forget it. And it'll remind you that you should keep going out with somebody unless there's a true deal breaker. Deal breaker. Breaks the deal. Absolutely no. Never. Not now. This is not going to happen today and not next week and not next year because I am who I am. You are who you are. And I'm clear. I've dated you long enough. I gathered enough information about you to be able to know that this doesn't work for me. And that's okay. I can say that freely that it doesn't work for me. But I do want to clarify, I'm never saying throw spaghetti at the wall and let's see what okay. sticks. Any of the matches that I make that are outside of somebody's preferences, I always justify. So mm -hmm. the one with right. the age gap, I said to her, listen, you are mature and you want to get married and you're in your mid twenties and dating a guy in his mid twenties Maybe it'll work for you, but it hasn't worked so far. I'd like to try something different. This guy happens to be marriage-minded. He could get married next year or next month or next six months, whatever it is. He's really ready. There is an age gap. And I'm wondering, would you be open to it? And I also always ask for permission. So if I'm going to throw something that's outside of somebody's box, I justify it. I tell them why I think it's a good idea. And I ask them for permission. I never push. I never nudge. I'll, I'll negotiate it out with conversation to see where they're really holding. But I, it, but it's based on something smart. It's based on a calculation and a deep understanding of who somebody is and what they want. And it's my true goal to get them to that. And sometimes we do have to shift from their preferences to to get them what they want. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Aliza, this has been so informative. I have one last question for us that's kind of a two-parter. But okay. it's a when classic you're journalist talking... trope is asking a two-part <laughs> last question. <laughs> we want you for as long as we can have you. <laughs> I'm um, yours. <laughs> what are what are some of the signs or commonalities in the successful couples that you've set up or successful couples that you've known? What are some signs early on that things are have the potential to stand the test of time? And separately, what is your biggest advice 
for folks still looking for their partner? Okay. So in terms of signs, the, the biggest thing that I want to see is I could be around this person. Okay. Put chemistry aside, put woo. Wow. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Put all that aside for a minute. If I could hang around with you, we could be buddies. We could be friends. We could have something here. We have things in common. Either our values are in common. Our personalities are in common. You don't, I don't know, you don't trigger things with me, right? All those fears or insecurities, you're not a highly triggering human for me. And those things about you that I don't like, you know, they irritate me, but I'm not just like, oh, I can't stand it. I don't want to be around you. If there's somebody that's in a category or could fall into a category of somebody I could hang around with or be friends with, to me, that is an awesome foundation. I love when friends elevate the relationship uh, status and they go from friendship to inner relationship. That's my favorite. And the chemistry piece of it, either it's there right up front or it grows over time or obviously it never comes. But if it's there up front, for me, that's often a red flag. Mm. It usually means fireworks. Amazing. Oh, my gosh, Elisa. This, I think it's my person. I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm counting out the days. Ten, nine, Yeah, we eight. saw that yep. with a couple of the couples on the show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm just waiting. I'm like, We're, if this is going to explode, <laughs> this is not going to work. So I actually do not like fireworks. And fireworks to me are a red flag. So mm-hmm. people should actually know that that's one of the signs of like, <gasps> I feel amazing. I'm like, good. Call me in, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks. You tell me if you still feel amazing. I'm pretty sure you're not going to feel that way. You're going to have found their flaws and you're going to tap back into reality. Yeah. So those are some of the signs. And in terms of my number one piece of advice, I would say if you want to find your person, never stop looking. You can take a break. You can go on vacation. You can do other things. You can have your job. You can have your work, but don't give up hope. And if you have given up hope, put it on the side. You can borrow my hope. Your person exists. They are living. They are breathing. They exist in this world. In the blueprint of creation, they came into this world. You came in. They came in. That's kind of how the world was created. We all came in. We have a partner. If it's not the one you thought it is, you'll have another one. If you got divorced, don't worry. You can have more than one soulmate, just not more than one soulmate at one time. So (laughs) don't worry. You will absolutely find your person. Just don't stop looking. Aliza, thank you so much. Your optimism is definitely inspirational. And you can all see Aliza on Jewish matchmaking starting May 3rd on Netflix. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I, 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 you and I have already, uh, that's the beauty of being a journalist. We got, we got a sneak peek of this show. So you and I have already seen it, but I'm looking forward to hearing um, what other people uh, think about it. Totally. I mean, I think this interview made so clear for me. One of the best parts about the show is Aliza. She she could mm-hmm. inspire me. She could run a pep rally. Like I, what I said at the end, I really feel her enthusiasm really comes across on the show. And I think my reservation that I asked about still remains as well. Like Aliza comes across as super awesome on the show. Yeah. All of the folks featured, not necessarily, but uh, people are human so you know it's also that's real i mean i'm a i'm a that's sucker reality. for reality <laughs> i'm a sucker for that's true but i'm a sucker for reality tv my favorite show uh, i'm my favorite guilty pleasure to watch is 90 day fiance and all of the spinoffs and, and oh and married at first sight two yes. dating shows which i mean you know it, people are not always at their best when <laughs> they're going through very stressful things and yeah very no, important true. life events yeah 
Uh, I, I've always wondered like how I would do. Um, my sister and I wanted to do the Amazing Race, you know, where you oh, travel cool, around, yeah. around the world, and we were like, we're gonna look horrible on that show because <laughs> we're gonna be like fighting, and like you're gonna right. see the worst of us. <laughs> right. We're gonna be wrapping up the show in a few minutes or in a couple minutes, and before we go, we have started a new uh, minhug, which is the Jewish word, awesome. Jewish Hebrew Yiddish word for uh, tradition custom where we recommend uh each of us recommends our favorite thing of the week laura do you want to go first sure so because it's jewish american heritage month and aapi yes yes one of those acronyms there's an oral history project that i've been following for quite some time it's called the jew panese j-e-w panese like japanese they have a great Instagram account where they share fascinating stories on the lived experiences at the intersection of being Jewish and Japanese. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of beautiful, touching personal essays there. And I think it's just a great example of how truly diverse and varied the Jewish story is, both in the United States and elsewhere. I'll have to check that out. My recommendation is for a new documentary. It's called The Man Who Stole Einstein's Brain. And you guessed it. It is about a man uh, who stole Einstein's brain. During Einstein's autopsy, uh, the doctor performing the autopsy actually stole the brain and kept it in a beer cooler for decades. Uh, it's a little-known chapter in uh, the history of Einstein. Not, not that many people know about. Anyway, the movie, The Man Who Stole Einstein's Brain, it is premiering Wednesday night uh, in Toronto at a film festival in Toronto. I'm, I'm actually... I appear briefly uh, in the film as a Einstein expert because I, I have a book about Einstein coming out. And so I appear in the film and I'll be at the premiere in Toronto. So I'm looking forward to that. And it'll be available on streaming uh, hopefully later this year. We'll keep you posted on that. And Benjamin, what is your book called and when is it coming out? It's called, thank you for asking, Laura. Um, <laughs> it's called The Einstein Effect. It comes out July 18th. I'm sure we'll talk about it on upcoming episodes of the show, but you can already, if you're excited, pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, anywhere you get books, you can already pre-order it. Fun. Well, thank you for joining us this week, folks. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we have a fancy new email inbox, so you can email us at thatjewishnewsshow at forward.com. If you liked what you heard, please share with a friend and... Give us a five-star rating on your platform, and we'll see you next week. That Jewish News Show is hosted by me, Laura E. Adkins, and Benjamin Cohen. It is a production of The Forward. Our editor-in-chief is Jody Rudoran, and our CEO is Rachel fishman Federson. Additional help this week came from Tani Levitt and Jake Wasserman. Our theme music is by The Fly Guy 5. The Forward was founded in 1897 and is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to and review That Jewish News Show wherever you're listening. Five stars is preferable, but whatever you say, say it from the heart. We'd be ever so grateful if you'd send a link to today's episode to a friend or two. We'll see you next week.